Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, TSL fam, producer Jeff here, and I want to start by saying buckle up for a great episode. Lorian is back, and as always, she and Meg just have enormous insight to share today. But as promised, I want to quickly talk about the Austin Film Festival because, of course, it starts pretty much today when this is dropping in your feed. I unfortunately will not be there. My film Always Lola is playing its final festival as we close out our circuit in Las Vegas, but I promise I will be there next year. Good news, Lorian and Meg are both going to be there. First of all, make sure you catch Meg and her writing partner and husband, Joe Forte, as they're going to do their own story workshop on Saturday morning. So check the Austin Film Festival program for more information there. And one of the events you want to make sure you go to is on Saturday, October 29th um, at 9 a.m. at the St. David's Episcopal Church. Meg and her writing partner and husband, Joe Forte, will be doing a story workshop. So if you're feeling brave, you can come and pitch your story. And that evening at 8 p.m., TSLers are going to be meeting at Stevens F Bar in Austin. So make sure if you want to meet up with the TSL community, the tentative plan is to meet there on Saturday night. Um, But I will say all of this is kind of subject to change. So if you're not a part of the TSL Facebook group, make sure you join today. I will be on top of making sure those approvals happen, but I will miss you all very much. But Austin's going to be amazing. I can't wait to hear stories from Meg and Lorian. And how about the TSL Army goes and just represents our podcast as beautifully as I know you always do when you're out there in the wild. Have a blast and enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Screenwriting Life. Lorian is back. Hello. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it wasn't the same without you, Laura. Oh, well, I'm happy to be back, but I am thrilled that you guys carried on without me, um, which is sort of the new theme of my life. I don't have to be in control of everything. You guys, everyone was fine with me gone. Uh, and I'm back. It's been three weeks. And Meg, you just got back from Africa. I just got back from Italy. Uh, so today we're going to talk about being at retreats and labs and what was that like as a mentor and sort of things we learned about. I don't know how to be a better mentee. I don't know. Everyone I worked with was amazing. So I, I don't know. I can just talk about how great well, they it's were. kind of what, what they are, the best way to use them as a writer, what we see, right. what we learned about writing and craft by talking about it for all yes. that. It's also relevant. So yes. but before we get into our topic, we're going to talk about our weeks or what we call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? Uh, I'm not quite sure yet. I still have jet lag. <laughs> I, uh, I last week, this time I was still in Italy and then, you know, I flew home and I thought it's been three weeks. There's no way that I will have jet lag. Right. Cause I got used to that time. I'll come back, get these this time. I powered through that first night. And then the next night I, I woke up at one or two and I was like, fully like, I'm awake. Got up. I read, I sat there like a weird spider waiting for my kid to get up so I could take her to school, <laughs> you know, like what time is it? Four, five. Um, but last night I actually slept. So I feel a little more human. Um, re-entry is hard after any kind of retreat or lab. Like you get to be in this wonderful space where the major decisions are pretty much taken over for you. So you have very few actual practical decisions to make. And so coming back into like, 
oh my God, there's cheerleading practice and karate and she has a doctor's appointment. And then, you know, well, my husband did this and I have to do this. And, you know, it was just like re-entry is hard. And I'm trying to figure out how to keep some of that space from the retreat sort of alive in me <laughs> so that I don't like drown again. But yeah, yeah. I'm back. That was my week. Uh, yeah. How was your week, Jeff? Quickly, Lorian. Yeah, I do want to hear, we're going to get into specifics about your lab in Italy, but you were sending what I would, can only describe as pornographic food imagery constantly over the Facebook group. <laughs> can you, can you name like your favorite meal? That's what I would love to hear. I had two favorite meals. One okay. was an Orvieto, which is this, I don't know if I'm saying that right. That's my fancy Italian accent. Orvieto, right? That's how we would say it in California. <laughs> um, this little town in Umbria. And I had this beautiful, um, uh, truffle pasta. Um, but before that I had bruschetta, but it wasn't like the kind that we're used to where it's like on a little piece of bread with the tomatoes and stuff. This was like a round flat sort of crispy bread with the tomatoes and the tomatoes were so fresh and beautiful. And I had a gorgeous glass of red wine with it. And it was one of those meals where I wasn't hungry, but you know, you only have so many meals when you're traveling. And I was like, I will be eating this dinner and it was really good and I'm glad I did it. And you know, the pasta is made differently in Italy. So it doesn't give you that like desperate, yeah. I have to go lie down for an hour feeling. My other favorite meal was in Florence. I had nudo, nudi, which is um, sort of like naked risotto balls. <laughs> Sounds delicious when I say it in English, but <laughs> it was so good. And uh, tiramisu, anywhere I ate tiramisu, mm -hmm. I don't like the tiramisu. I've never liked tiramisu, but eating it in Italy, I found out it's, it's actually called, it translates to cheer me up. And um, it was just so decadent and beautiful and light. And I don't know, it was like the perfect dessert. I'll never eat it in America because what I had in Italy was transcendent. So those were my uh. favorite uh, meals. And when I had the nudie, the waiter hit on me pretty seriously. So it was a very good moment. I'm like, That's I love Florence. That's a good night out. I love Florence. Everyone here is a brunette. All the women, you know, have like lady shaped bodies like me, you get the big butts and you stomping around eating food <laughs> and drinking wine. And, and I was like, I love this place deeply, deeply. What a dream. Got flirted on, flirted with right before my birthday. It was amazing. Yeah. So those are my favorite um, meals. I didn't well, act amazing. on the flirting. I actually didn't know he was flirting with me until after my friend pointed it out after because I'm such a ding dong. But anyway, it was still good to figure that out after. Still okay. counts. Still still counts. counts. <laughs> How was your week? Um, it was great. I think the highlight of my week is actually hearing Lori and talk about the food in Italy. So I'll start by saying that. Um, I'm kind of, I'm like reworking act to be in a feature that I wrote a long time ago and I've been dusting off and trying to rework and um, you know, we love John August and Craig Mazin on this podcast, um, and they talk about Act 2B is actually, they got this from Aline Brosh McKenna, who wrote The Devil Wears Prada and co-created uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and she calls that part of the feature script like the Rocky Shoals, because once you're past that midpoint before Act 3, it just can get kind of dicey, and it can feel like you've got to do a lot of emotional work with your character, but still keep the story going, and I feel like interesting emotional things are happening with my characters, but I'm having trouble with like story. And in so many ways, story is character, but I feel like I'm, the characters are- enough? Maybe not, act, maybe that's the problem. It's about kicking their ass. Yeah. Like it is now so hard. 2A is fun kicking mm -hmm. a ass, and this is not fun kicking a ass. Like this yeah. is- Painful. Painful, and maybe you aren't kicking their butts enough. And by the way, that's not tone. It can be funny. Right. Butts. 
that's that harsh, but. Yeah, I feel like my characters are talking about how their asses are getting kicked and I need to be showing the audience how their asses are getting kicked. Um, and it's hard because you, you need to get, you want to build to that big breaking moment in act three. So maybe that big breaking moment needs to be bigger and that will help my act two in be. In the end but... of act two, a, the, bo the, the bottom of act two breaking moment? No, like the kind of dark night of the soul, like yeah, that rock bottom. That's the end of act yeah. two. Yeah. So maybe I haven't given them far enough. Maybe rock bottom isn't far enough. And like, that's what I need to figure out. But um and I, I think just, often, I mean, there's no rules, but yeah. uh, often in 2B, there's not a lot of talking because the shit is hitting the fan. And there's right. no time to have like a campfire talk now. <laughs> like right. campfire talks are done. Like you're going to die now. Like it's got to be very active, I think. And uh, it doesn't have to be, but often it's very active and ass kicking. And there's not a lot of time for conversations now. Right. So that's where I'm at. So I need to just figure out, I think it, it's probably an act one problem. You know, it's like, it's like the whole script is broken in a way, but I, I'll figure it out. And I, um, you know, I'm getting to a point with this script where I feel like I like a lot of it and I don't like a lot of it and I'm just too close to it. And I feel like I actually might need to start giving it to people to tell me what's going on because I feel like I'm almost having trouble seeing it. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's an interesting place to be. And I don't know. Well, what do you all think is, about that? Well, this is, you know, you have different levels of friends to give things to at different right. times. And this is the time you give it to the people who know it's a fucking puke draft or right. a mixed up draft and, or I'm stuck and they're completely supportive and just yeah. there to help you find the goal. They're not there to critique necessarily. And right. those are specific kinds of readers. Certain people can do that and certain people can't. And that's not good or bad. That's just how people's brains work. So like you would give it to me and I will read it and yeah. I will help you find the core. What do you think? Well, the Meg, lesson here is Meg just offered, I think, to read your script. I did. I on, on the so podcast. you send it to her today. Was that the most shameless way to get me to get Meg to offer to read my script in the middle of her press tour for my father's <laughs> dragon? You know what I said? <laughs> Um, that's very generous, Meg. I, I want to make sure it is the best shitty version of the script it can be before no, I send it to you. it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time because we're going <laughs> to blow it up. We're going to blow it up. You're going to blow it up. Yeah. Literally blow it into yeah. a thousand now. pieces. And it needs to be blown up. I'm, this is when I, my notes are best when you're unsure and you have enough because okay. I- When you're at up. your weakest, you're most vulnerable. That's when <laughs> that goes in. <laughs> so when people give me things that they're like, this is finished. I'm like, then I'm not your reader yeah. because I'm going to blow it up. Well, I know it's pretty broken, but there's there's stuff there. There's stuff there. And that's what I need someone to help me weed through. So it's all good. I'm actually feeling excited that there's enough of it that I like that even this, even if it blows up, I think there's things. So not if. Yeah. It, even when it gets blown up. Exactly. Um, well, Meg. I know that you're in the middle of a press tour for my father's dragon. So I'd love to hear how your that week is going. So fancy. That sounds so fancy. I am in a fancy hotel right now with a yes. view out of San Francisco. Congratulations on your movie coming out. Yeah, that's a really big, big deal. My yeah. big week is um the trailer made father. me cry, Meg, just so you know. Aww. It's so beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. It's so, so beautiful. I mean, I knew it would be because it's Cartoon Saloon, yeah. but even I am still blown away by the art and the work that Nora did in her directing. And it's just, um, it's so beautiful and so intense. Like my husband, Joe, who's a pretty good critic of things, you know, if he doesn't like it, he will let you know. And uh, he was just kind of blown away by it. And he, there's this one, when you meet the antagonist, he was like, that is just an intense, intense scene. Um, 
So I'm very, I'm, I'm proud to have been part of it. Um, I'm proud to have supported Nora in her um, journey with it. And it's fun. Listen, pressers are fun when they like the movie and when they're wishy-washy on it, they're not as much fun, but they're still fun because you go um, and you screen the movie around town and then you um, have question and answers, um, which usually are very polite and nice and people show their enthusiasm. And then we had our um, US premiere at Animation is Film Festival at the uh, Man's Chinese Theater. And there was a red carpet and I did my own makeup, which was a mistake, but I learned my lesson. <laughs> and my hair was bad, but uh, I learned my lesson, but it was fun. It doesn't matter, who cares? Like who's ever gonna see those photos? Do not Google them. And uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> it was super fun. It was, it's always fun to walk down a red carpet and have people ask you questions. And so I'm having a blast. And uh, today we're taking the movie, we're in, um, San Francisco because we're taking the movie to Pixar to show it at Pixar and I will admit I'm a little bit nervous just because I so respect them and and their creativity that it's you know it's I don't know it's like taking your movie home or something like I, I'm mm -hmm. just a little bit nervous about it um but I know everybody will be super supportive and the art and the animation is so freaking amazing and the direction is so amazing that that's you know they'll all love that so I'm good I'm good because I'm so lucky to have Nora um and we're gonna but have just to just interrupt you and just to say it though, all of that stuff is amazing. And yes, but you know, your script gave them the opportunity to find that stuff. It's true. It's true. I know. And John Morgan, my um, writing partner at the time, who unfortunately died before we went to script, he was in the pitch at Netflix. Um, he was very very ill at Netflix, but he was there and brought his heart. And um, it's really one of the last times I saw him was that pitch. And we made people cry in the room with our pitch. And um, so it's also really special for me and Nora because to do this for John and John's with us. We know that John is with us and really happy. And um, and so that's also pretty special for me um, to have gotten his heart out into the world, you know, now forever, you know, mm -hmm. he's there forever. Um, so that's what, that's my week is, uh, and of course, of course, you know, we're getting good reviews, uh, but of course, you know, you do Twitter dive, you can't help it. Like you should not, right? And- uh, Meg, I'm gonna give you the advice you gave me last week. Don't do that. <laughs> well, I know, but then people around you do it and they tell you or what, like there is one guy who called the film an abomination <laughs> <laughs> because he so loves the original book but the book is a children's story. Like it's not a movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's basically like, go meet an animal, 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 go meet an animal. Like it's not a movie. So um, you got to just grow with the punches sometimes in terms I of- I mean, congratulations. In terms of criticism, that one is pretty amazing. <laughs> like it is not, it's not middle of the road. It's like just this short of getting protested, which is one of my goals. Um, <laughs> That something is so but like literally one person out of thousands and you're every and there's people on I guess his Twitter feed defending the movie like what are you talking about like I like the movie what are you talking about it's not a book and blah, blah, blah. so uh it's it's uh it is I guess that's I, yeah. the one that there's that always one grumpy person yeah. there's always one grumpy person there's always one bad review at least on, on Rotten Tomatoes because that person wants to stand out and have you read their review so if they're blah, blah, or they don't like it and that's okay too so I you know what you could do Meg is just yeah. DM him and ask him to send his movie that's on Netflix coming out next month 
That's what I would do. Oh my god, it's okay. Or, like, so, like we talked about last week, it's irrelevant. It's it's relevant that you can be in the audience and not like it, and that's okay. Yeah. You can express that because that's part of the creative process. That's part of being an artist. And you know, I think a lot of us come into this unconsciously because maybe we weren't seen or heard as children. And we want to tell our stories and we want to be seen and we want our kind of experience of the world to be valid and recognized. But, you know, that will get you so far. And then that can't be the motive anymore because that's not what it's about. It's about putting something in the world and people are going to like it or they're not going to like it. And as long as you like it, well, you know, that's all you need. Like, I, I really am proud of the movie. I love the movie. So if you don't like it, that's okay. That's totally fine. I think you will. I think you'll dig it. Um, so it's been fun. And uh, Nora's going to continue her press tour. Um, we're going to go to the Virginia Film Festival with it. And uh, it'll be fun. It's going to be good. Oh, it comes cool. out. I haven't seen November. it yet. That's why I right. haven't. That's okay. You my how that's much okay. I love it yet. That's okay. It comes out November 11th on um, Netflix. I have asked Nora to come on the podcast and she said yes. Yay. So we just have to find a time in her tour to uh, bring her on. And uh, that'll be fun. Lauren and Jeff, you can interview us together. So yeah. that'll, that'll be fun. All right, let's get on to our topic of the day. All right, so our topic of the day is labs. And, you know, Lauren, you just came back from one. I just came back from one. We've both been to Cinestory. I've been to Sundance, Meryl Streep Lab. And we, we both have a lot of lab experience. So today when we talk about labs, I would just want to say up front, we're not talking about any one specific lab. We're just talking about all of them. And um, I've literally been going to labs for probably, I don't know, 20 years, like a long time. So it's just kind of um, giving, a, giving you all a kind of distillation of all of the things we've learned over those many, many labs. But Lauren, you just came back. What's on your mind? Well, what's on my mind very much, unfortunately, is this particular lab. <laughs> <laughs> because it was three weeks long and um that's a long lab that's long that's for one lab and you know I'm used to going to shorter labs where I meet with writers I read them I talk to them you know for a day a couple days do some workshops and then you know off they go and then some people I stay in touch with um uh, but this was three weeks we all were living at the same Italian villa I mean super fancy in Tuscany um I have to say it that way because it sounds really fancy because it was nice. It was really nice. And so we had breakfast together and lunch and dinner. And I worked with them in the afternoons in different capacities, some one-on-one, some we did group workshops of their scripts. Um, but it was really amazing to be with them over those three weeks and to watch their growth and their struggle and to be there. Um, like some of them wrote whole new screenplays on week two, like all of a sudden they have a whole new draft. And then one writer even revised that draft while we were there during this, I think the third week she, she had a love that draft so of it. Much. Yeah. But part of it is being able to read them, meet with them, listen to how they process, listen to how they workshop, have casual conversations with them, get to know them, listen to the questions they're asking so that when I get to read their next thing, I can see the bumps they're still having and sort of nudge them in a direction or see the growth that they have. And, you know, all the different walls they showed up with, you know, it's nerve wracking. They've all traveled halfway around the world to be in Italy for three weeks with a bunch of strangers in this unknown situation. And so you show up sort of like, mm, fraud syndrome. Uh, was I the one that was picked just because they needed a spot to fill, you know? Um, and then just sort of how everybody manifests those worries and fears 
and then how they get through them and make friends. Um, and we had a really diverse group in terms of background and um, age, which was really interesting and exciting as well. Um, so it was, um, it's so different than a shorter lab. So it was a really powerful experience for me as a teacher to get to witness that and be a part of that and how excited they are. But also it was just so inspiring how much they wrote. They wrote all morning long, all afternoon long. If they weren't in, you know, workshops, some of them didn't go away for the weekends. They wrote like they were writing and it was just really powerful and inspiring to, to be a part of that. So that's really how you learn, you know, like yeah. I love going to labs and <clears throat> of course it's very valuable to sit down with the writer for an hour and a half and, you know, open them up. And, you know, I guess the first thing I want to say about labs is a lot of people, especially if they're contests to even get in the lab, assume that that, you know, that's the script they should give the one that got them in the lab and that they're finished with because they're actually going to the lab to impress people and get an agent or whatever, you know, get move their career up. That's not what a lab is. A lab is about learning, going deeper in your craft, going deeper in your lava and becoming a better writer overall. So like for the Safari lab, I asked them, did you give me the script to, you know, that is finished or did you give me a work in progress? And almost all of them said, all I had four, um, oh no, we gave you the, the, to impress you, which totally makes sense, by the way. Like we gave you a finished thing or one woman gave me a script that's been through three consultants. And I was like, Feels like that is not the one to give me. So they were all very brave and gave me the drafts that they know don't work, which is like what I was saying to you, Jeff, they, which I think is incredibly brave to do because they mm -hmm. don't know. They don't know my process. They don't know that they're going to be safe, but they're, they are artists. And that's what an artist does. An artist takes those risks. And, um, it was so much better because we could blow it up and they weren't resisting it. They weren't in their head thinking of why they were afraid of blowing it up because they knew that's the context. So when you go to the lab, know that you, in your head, it is going to blow up. And that is the point of the lab. You know, at Sundance, they actually, at the Sundance labs, they want you to get as many opinions on your project as possible, even if they're contradictory. Like they're not about deciding a road for you it's get as many points of view as you can. And at the mm -hmm. end of a Sundance lab, you throw your script in a fire, like literally a fire because you, they want you to go down off the mountain kind of open to what it could be. So that's the first thing to know about labs that labs aren't about, uh, labs are about digging in my opinion, the best ones, the best ones are about opening you, opening you up. And my, and the last lab I went to, they all did that. But I also agree, Lorian, it's, I think, the the writer can jump much faster and further if it's a rep if you're going back if you're having to write go back write go back write get more comments right because you're learning first of all as a mentor you're learning oh they didn't get what I said <laughs> like like because if you if that's where, where you took the writing there were great things in there but that's not the core thing we were talking about. I don't know that unless you write something and give it back to me, right? I don't I don't know that you didn't get it because everybody seems to get it when you're talking to them. So what I did, because they only had a week, like three weeks is amazing. Like I, I can't even imagine how much growth those writers were able to go through. Probably like years worth of growth in three weeks. It was astonishing. That is amazing. All I, of them. I only had five days, right? So, and they were all going on safari in the morning and the, and the afternoon. So, but I said to them, I would prefer that every session, each of you gets a half hour and we just go very fast because they were all together. Cause I think it's, it's good to learn from each other. 
Um, I didn't necessarily have them talk unless I asked them to, because I, I don't only have a half hour. Um, and then I gave them homework and they could do the homework or not. Like, you know, also, uh, because we only had four days and they all did it. They all did their homework. They all came back and we went again and again and again. And I really do think that helps. Um, I could also see, I could go deeper. I don't know, Lori, for three weeks, you must've gone really deep in four yes. days. I could go really deep and uh, take them into their lava. You know, I can do that in an hour and a half. I can, but I never, sometimes in an hour and a half, I don't know if you find Lorian, I can get you to step into the lava, but now we're done. And like, I kind of need to keep it going. And I did, I've had people in the past pull back from it. Mm-hmm. Um, literally go into the lava and in the next session go, yeah, I don't want to do that. And you're like, okay, like, I'm not going to force anybody to do anything, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's where the lava is. But if you don't want to do that, let's find something else to do. Um, I've had people going into the lava suddenly not understand English. <laughs> How did you have that, Lorian? Where suddenly they're like, what? What is it that you're saying? What's yeah. happening? Like their brain just goes, Psh. yeah, then you have to find like a different way to talk about it and then a different way. And then, or we're going to pause and talk about something else while you recalibrate, right? right? It's all about reading people and sort of where they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's so great. They must have done such amazing work to have all of that time writing. And the fact that they did write, like if you're at a lab and you have chance to actually write while you're there, even if it's just barfing stuff out because you're changing your brain when you write, when you listen, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily going in to those yeah. deep level. Yeah. The way this lab was structured was lab, but more retreat. Um, the work with the writers was scheduled from two to six with me. Um, and so it was, uh, workshops and I would do them differently depending on how well I knew the writer like sometimes only I talk, like at the very beginning, I was like character, 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 and then everyone would listen. Um, you could participate or not in the one-on-ones or the workshops, but you had the option. One writer, she just wrote the entire time. She showed up at meals. You know, she was great. Everyone loved her. She would show up for like occasional, you know, she's so smart, you know, but she wrote, she was serious. She would show up, eat, bounce up, write. Just so focused, so inspiring. Um, you know, it, it was just, um, like everyone managed the retreat in a different way and sort of what they needed. And that was really supportive. Um, so that, that for me watching them, yeah, it was really, really cool. And some of them showed up feeling like this was their last ditch. Like, why am I even here? I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not a writer leave and left with this, like, Oh, I am a writer. And I have great, you know, like we left with this confidence because of the group, the way it came together. Uh, so it was really and I'm digging in and then I, I pushed all of them into that really dangerous, icky, vulnerable space. You know, so they all knew they were all getting that treatment for me. So they all sort of were allowed and supported in that sort of vulnerability. And they were all talking about it, I think. Yeah, I think um, that so. lifelong friendships can come out of these labs because you are asked to be vulnerable, um, you know, but then you all go to get a good, get, get a drink together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we like- had wine at dinner <laughs> at, our, at our chef cooked dinner at the villa. Yes, I know. I know, be jealous, everybody. I deserved it, you guys. I deserved it. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, and were, some I, craft, what yeah. were some craft things that you found um, were kind of a common um, thing to talk to all the writers about? It was a lot of act to be, beating your characters up. Uh, it was uh, character um, and setting up act one quickly, right? Setting up act one with a clear problem 
what problem does your character have? And what is their plan? Um, you know, and, and internal, external stakes, sort of setting all that stuff up very quickly in the beginning. Um, that was a big piece of it. And then sort of the, the plan, what does your character want? How are they gonna get it? And they all had it in there, but it was just about like pulling it up to the surface a little. And the other thing that I noticed was some of them were like structurally really sound, but the emotional, like I, like the stories were good. Some, you know, they would pitch it, the, the, they would summarize it all really good stuff, but like, I don't feel anything when I, so like, how do we get at that? And that was really common. I think it was sort of um, character emotion, all the things we talk about, but in terms of craft, it was really about confidence across the board. I think that there was, it was all there, even when the writers were super green, their passion for writing was there, but the confidence to, to be quiet where it needs to be quiet, to go big when it needs to be quiet, to be on the nose in those really awkward moments where you have to really like I feel bad, you know, or articulate it, but it was the, the confidence level that I think I really uh, watched them and make to make take risks. That was a big, messy question answer that I just I did. No, it is. No, what I'm <laughs> interesting is usually at labs, because I only have an hour, an hour and a half to talk to the, I'm going right for the lava because I want that emotion in there. The rest of the stuff I usually think in my head craft, like the structure, someone else in this lab is going to talk about that, but I'm going to go right now into the lava with you. But what I found in this last lab I did, because I was seeing them every day and trying to move them very fast, um, what I needed to know in order to direct them, meaning which path are we taking, was, was what was interesting to me is it, it was all, the first thing we talked about was outside in, which is what is this? Like- mm -hmm. What genre are we in? How funny do you want this scary movie? Or is is this kind of a family ensemble? Or is this really about her and it's a rom-com? Like where, what genre are we in? Because in order for me to go as fast as we're going to need to go in four days, I got to be on the right trail of what you want, right? And so because I had to go so fast, the first question I asked is, give me movies that fit the tone. So that's a whole discussion to understand tone versus plot. Most people gave me plot comps. That's not mm -hmm. what I was asking for. I was asking for tone comps. I do think we should have a show on tone. And um, so they, start, so they started to understand what I meant by tone. And then the next question I immediately asked was, again, because I have to go so fast, who's starring in this movie? Because that helps give me tone, oddly. A Will Ferrell movie, generally, if he's in doing comedy, is different than, than an Adam Sandler comedy, which is going to be a little bit darker, is different than um, somebody in a Coen Brothers comedy, right? So who's in this? And that really helps start to calibrate their brains of what they wanted this character to be, right? And some of my homework for some of them was, well, go look at those movies. And what is, if it's Will Ferrell in his broadest comedies, right? And you want this to be as broad as that. How, do, how does he do that? Like, what is, again, we don't have to copy it, but just to, for we all to be on the same page, right? Um, and that really helped us move quickly because until I know that, I don't know how to, we could, I can push you in different ways depending on what you want it to be. And trying to get their brains to understand the commitment and distillation to that. And that you can't just be halfway through the movie decide I want it to be a different tone right? I, it's really, really broad comedy until the middle. And then we're doing kind of a family comedy with a lot of drama. It's like, wait, 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 wait. None of my people were doing that, but just in a broad, broadest sense. Um, so it was interesting to me that so much on this podcast, I talk about lava, but actually 
you really also have to know what movie are you doing? And again, because we were in a lab, I was like, this is not forever. But for today, for this next four days, pick a pony because you can't tell me I'm not sure because then we're going to go in circles. So for four days, pick a pony. What is it? Okay, it's this, right? And then for four days, we went down that train. Now, one writer in the middle decided that's not what he wanted to do. That's fine. Then we picked a different pony, but then we only had, he got kind of a little bit of both. But I do think when you're doing a draft, even if it's an early draft, pick a pony. This is the genre tone I'm doing. Um, you know, are you able to distill it as much as you can in terms of what what do you want the audience to be feeling? Dan O'Shannon was a mentor and he was so about the audience experience in terms of what do you want? They are participating with you in this. And a lot of times as writers, especially when we're doing our lava work, we forget that, that this, at some point, the lava has to now be the subtext. You know, I think a lot of people are getting mixed up that when we say lava, we mean that to be the context. Now, it might be in certain projects, maybe you're doing a biopic, I don't, then, or an autobiographical movie about yourself, that's fine, then do that. I'm not saying don't do those. But for most of your writing, that lava is the subtext underneath the context of the genre, the the action, the character arc, and all the stuff that's just the fun. Like you don't have to put that experience you had with your grandmother that so much of your lava into a movie about a grandmother and a kid. It could be, you know, an animated movie about Martians. It doesn't matter. Like it could be about dog, it could be anything. It's just the the stuff of it, but you do eventually have to ask these outside in questions. Like what is the, what do you want the audience feeling at the end of your movie? How do you want them walking out of the theater, right? What What is the poster? That's a fun uh, thing to turn up your writing. What is the poster of this? What is the tagline? It, it helps your brain distill it down into what are you doing? So I was surprised and it was really fun that we did that work too, in order for me to find the path to take them down. Um, and we got into the lava, but I needed to know the path too. Yeah. We did a lot of that too. It was fun. I love the poster idea. Cause then it was like, Oh, who's, who's watching, who's the audience. This is an adult sitcom. Cause I had TV and features. So it was kind of fun. Uh, one of the things I noticed a lot of people showed up with baggage around notes that they'd gotten either from paid coverage or they met with a producer and told them something or a writer that they really respect and admire had told them things, you have to do this. Or if you want this movie to do well in this market, you have to do this. And and they were sort of like, but isn't, I took the note. And so I, I sort of encouraging everyone to like, look at the notes and then like, is that what you want to do? What movie are you making? What are you trying to say? Like, again, what do you want the audience to feel? Like, what do you want to say? Who's in the movie? All those same tone questions, but like sort of understanding that they are the storyteller and people may or may not like it. I had one writer read the script and I was really focusing on because of the tone and the genre that I got of it. I was like, oh, this needs to be like act one, two A, mid, you know, like structure. And I was trying to get at the act two B structure of it. And, and I could see in her eyes, it wasn't what she wanted. And, and so I talked to her later about what movies are your favorite movies? We dug into the lava, did all the stuff. And she wants to write more lyrical, sort of more, um, not whimsical, but like where the, the, the structure is there, but not in the more Western way. And so I was like, oh, but she was listening to feedback on the script because she'd gotten so much feedback to push her in a certain genre tone direction on this other script that mm -hmm. she got lost in it. 
So it was like, it's a family film. You got to take out the F word. And, you know, like it's these things, you have to follow these rules, but I don't think that's what she intended to write. She got noted in that direction. So then working with her on the next script that she wrote that second week, it was more about like, okay, but what, what is it that you're trying to do? And how can we find the structure in what you've written already that was felt more gentle and real to her? Like it's still in there. It just was it was an interesting experience for me as a mentor because you come in and you're like, well, this is structure. This is how a TV show works. This is how it works in Hollywood, you know, but then like not everyone is going to respond to that in the same way. So finding different ways to work with different people who have different ideas about what structure is and how it can work for them, sort of getting them to find it like, okay, then write what you want to write. And let's, let's see. And then it was always naturally there. I mean, consultants um, are great and knowing those rules are great, you know, but I totally agree with you. At some point, you got to forget it because what's unique is what's important, not in terms of unique for unique sake. Like I'm just going to be different. Like that is mm. not going to get you where you want to go. I promise you, because we're not going to know what the hell's going on in your script. Right. But uh, once you kind of have the solidness of the structure and, and you kind of, I don't mean necessarily in your project, but in your head, in your body, right? You do want to do some jazz riffs. You do want to just go towards that emotion 100% in terms of, and I get stuck in this sometimes. Sometimes I, I use the structure as a safety blanket or something to hold on to. Um, and that can actually limit where you allow the characters to go. So I really, I, I really think that's so beautiful that um, you were able to help her do that. Uh, um, yeah. And, you know, when you're at a lab, there's different people with different levels of experience too, right? Like there's mm -hmm. in the Africa lab, there were people who had never written a script before. Um, and there were people who have been to many labs. I teased one guy that he was a lab junkie, but <laughs> as am I, as am I, um, but uh, who've been to many labs or are really um, have agents and, you know, are mm -hmm. right on the cusp. And it's, I, th what I think that's so great about a lab because you can learn from everybody even beginners have such a beautiful perspective that it's really important for us to remember that perspective right of the kind of openness and passion and go get them spirit of a beginner right we can get a little jaded so i loved all that mix of energy uh and again some labs are not because you had to it was a competition to get in so generally those people generally all have the basics down um, and Jeff, how's it been for you going on the lab as a mentee or as a mentor? And I've been in both positions too, by the way. Like when I went to the Sundance Lab as a writer, John and I, who's my writing partner, we came out and he looked at me after our first session and he goes, you look like a clubbed baby seal. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I am, I am right now. Cause I was so shocked at the notes and I was so, I was literally in shock. I was in physical shock. And then the next person we went to see, he, we walked out and I'm like, oh, who's the club baby seal now? Because <laughs> it just, different notes get you in different ways, right? Jeff, what's been your experience on both sides of that, but as the mentor and the mentee? You, when you get your first opportunity to be a mentor at a lab, it opens you up as to maybe decisions that you could have made as a mentee, <laughs> either helped or pushed you in a certain direction. But um, I think I just, like everything you all have said, I totally agree with. Um, I think like I would encourage any of our listeners who maybe are listening to this in preparation for a lab, don't panic. I think like that can be such a common feeling of, you know, if you feel the script that you love kind of breaking in front of you, push yourself to try to be excited rather than panic about what's happening because 
the script you have is already there. You know, it's not going anywhere. I, as someone who is feeling something they love break in real time as I'm rewriting something, that panic feeling is so tempting because you worry that the spark of excitement or the thing that you thought it was that made you so excited to get to the page is going to disappear. But you have to remember that the next lily pad you're chasing is something you might end up liking even more. Um, but that gap between what you thought it was that got you excited and what it is now becoming can feel like a scary ravine until you get to the other side. And I feel like that could be something that's tempting in a lab as you're working with mentors to, to fall into. But isn't that what's, isn't that what's great about a lab? Because that ravine shows up every time you write anything, no matter what, how long you've been in the business, how much quote unquote success you have, it doesn't matter. That ravine shows up. It shows up at Pixar. It shows up everywhere. It shows up every draft uh, where what you were hoping this was, it ain't. And people are telling you, look how deep this crevasse is. <laughs> but in a lab, you have people all around you who are also looking at their own ravines and you have mentors who aren't in the ravine, but they've had theirs and they know that you're looking at a ravine. And so it's very supportive. It's a good way to get better voices in your head. Maybe that's the way yeah. to say it, right? Because when I look at, when I feel those ravines by myself, I really beat myself up. Like, well, if I was a better writer, there wouldn't be a ravine. And, uh, you know, I bet Andrew Stanton doesn't have <laughs> ravines, which of course he does. And I've seen them because he's a human being and an artist. Right. Um, and because he pushes himself to the ravine, like on purpose. Uh, so, but I think it's better to have better voices in your head. Like at the, you can, that's why I love them too. Cause you go to dinner or lunch and I can tell, I can see the person peering into the ravine and be like, how you doing? Let's talk about it. You know? And we just over lunch, have a quiet conversation. And um, I had one, I hope it's okay for me to mention this. We went down at it's literally before dawn to go on the safari and I'm, and one of the writers who's not my writer is saying, oh yeah, you know, I got great feedback. I got great feedback. And I, you know, I've decided I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna now write it as a book. And I was like, really? Huh, okay. And I'm like, oh, the ravine is very big. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, she's like, okay, bye. <laughs> and it could just be that morning. You know what I mean? Like maybe by the afternoon, she was not gonna write it as a novel, but it was, it was so wonderful to be able to be there just haphazardly, you know, we happened to walk down the mountain together in the dark uh, to go on the safari to be able to say to her, or what if you didn't? Like, let's just talk about it for five minutes. What if you didn't write it as a novel? Like, what if you did continue down the path of a script? Let's talk about that. What's What does that bring up for you? What's happening? And, you know, to the point that I'm able finally to say to her, do you think maybe you're just saying that because you're scared and maybe you need to just stick it out for one draft, just try it. And, you know, I think it meant a lot to her. And, and again, she even says like, oh my God, thank God I walked out of my door at the exact moment that you were walking down mm -hmm. the mountain. But that is what a lab is. Like you don't know who you're going to be next to at lunch or, and that, you know, some people think going to lab is about networking. And certainly I'm not going to say you aren't going to meet friends for life. You aren't going to meet mentors, but really it's much more about the current moment of, being open and having other voices there to support you through that kind of creative journey all together to all being together. It's so I do want to share something really personal and vulnerable that I went through on this lab. So uh, before I got the invitation to go to Italy, I was a bit overwhelmed in my personal and professional lives. Uh, you know, I've talked about it on the show with my daughter's type one diagnosis and, you know, just being alive and being a professional screenwriter in LA, it's, it's a lot. Um, and 
So I got the invitation to go. And of course I was like, no, 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 I can't go. There's no possible way, you know, refuse the call. And then uh, I had a friend say to me, uh, if you don't go, you'll be a bitter old woman and you're already an old woman. So don't add bitter to it. And I was like, okay, noted. That's uh, a good I also, thing. I also made her meet me in Italy for a weekend. So, I mean, she, I got my payback, but, um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And it was really hard and scary. And I was like, okay, I'm going into act two. The minute I set foot in that villa, act two is going to start. So I was really excited. I had big plans to write a whole feature while I was there. I told my manager, I'm going to write this rom-com. It's going to be so great. I told all the writers, I'm here to write too. I'm going to write this rom-com. And then I didn't write. I was so tired. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and my choices were go to breakfast, read, eat, sleep, or cry. So I would walk around and cry. I would just walk around Tuscany and cry and like leak. And it wasn't, there wasn't any, like, I'm crying about this thing. It was just, I just had so much, I figured out it was grief, you know, grief and loss, just not anything even like just all of it. And so I got to a point where I was like, oh, I am not going to write right now. Now is not the time for me to write. Cause I kept sitting down to write and I got like catastrophic body, like pa panic. So I was like, I'm not going to write. I'm just going to do what makes me feel good. So I did that. And then I wrote a little bit and Hey, guess what? I'm a fucking great writer. I just want everyone to know that, that I'm really fucking good. And it was really validating to be able to do that in, uh, in a space where it was like, okay to acknowledge that. Cause I was so busy acknowledging everyone else's skills and here's, what's really good. And here's what moved me. And I was like, I read my stuff. I'm like, Oh, Hey, guess what? I'm amazing. And I need to fucking write more. And then that scared me. So I went back in my little cocoon and then Halfway through, exactly a week and a half in, I was reading um, someone's script. I was going to meet with them later that day. And I started shaking and I couldn't catch my breath. And I was like, I was, I felt panic. I was having a panic attack. I don't know if it was an anxiety attack or panic attack, but I was terrified. And so I put my stuff down and I just walked as fast as I could away from the villa. And I stomped up the gravel road as high as I could go, as fast as I could go. And at the top, there is this archeological site where there are these Etruscan ruins where there's this old Etruscan wall. And, you know, I think every place on the planet at one point has been a sacred space. Um, but at this particular moment, that space felt very special to me. And I had this image of myself lying on my back in the grass. So I got up there and I saw the spot and I laid down on my back and, you know, spread eagle, wrists up, totally vulnerable. And I closed my eyes and I tried to get my breathing under control. And eventually I felt my body sort of settling into the grass, which I'm sure was covered with bugs, but whatever, I couldn't think about it. There were bugs everywhere in Tuscany, everywhere. Okay, anyway, I digress. So I felt my body sort of sinking, not just, I sort of was like, I don't know, grounding, I guess. And then I could feel the sort of sky pulling away from me. I can't quite describe it. And then I finally got my breathing under control and I was still in my head. And before I left, I was, you know, I'd gotten a big pass. And then while I was there, I got another pass. And it was sort of like, is this life sustainable? Is being a professional screenwriter where I have to keep my health insurance as a writer, I have to sell a script and bike a certain amount by a certain time to keep my health insurance. I have bills to pay. And the way writing works is I might sell something, make a lot of money and then not do anything for two more years. And then, oh my God, the money's out. What do I do? Um, so I was feeling very like, can I keep doing this? You know, my birthday's coming up. We just had the Jewish new year. So it felt like, oh my God, I have to make some decisions. So I, not that I prepared to do this and I am not a spiritual person. I just am not, I don't know how to meditate. And I said out loud, tell me what to do. 
I'm going to get emotional. Sorry. And before I finished saying it out loud, I just felt the word right sort of happen in my head. And I calmed down immediately. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to write. I'm a writer. And it came from me. You know, I, I would categorize myself as an atheist, but you know, I, I don't know where that came from, but it came from me. And so I got up and I felt very in my body and I looked around and there was all these purple butterflies flying around. And I was like, oh, so I sat there and watched them for a while. And I got up and I walked back down the hill and I felt better. And I wrote, I wrote this all down and I sent it to my husband. And after thinking about it, what I realized is being a professional screenwriter is something I've wanted to do my whole life in some capacity, be a professional writer, make money as a writer. I'm also a writer and those are two different things. And there are times when writing isn't enough to pay the bills. And I have an ego problem around that, that like, if I'm not like that, there's shame around teaching or shame around consulting or, you know, being the showrunner on a show that I didn't create. And I'm really good at those things. So it's, see, look at me just talking about how amazing I am all the time. Well, you um, should, as you should. But that's, but, that, but I, but there is shame in that for me that I should be writing and creating and running my own material, which yes, I would love more than anything to, to um, run the show that I just created, you know, but in the meantime, there's a reality in the world is that sometimes I am not able to write enough to make a living and I have to do other things and that that is okay. And that's sort of what I came up. Sorry, I'm getting emotional again. God, how many times have I cried on the show? Shit. But this was my experience at the lab was that because I felt so low coming in with, you know, a pass and then another pass and sort of, am I qualified to be a mentor for these people? Because I don't have a big show on the air, big movie credit, you know, and, and I realized I am qualified because I do know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm a really good mentor and I am a good writer and I'm a good teacher. And so it's like, why is there shame in me leveraging all of the things I'm good at in order to make a living? And I know I'm not, the only professional writer out there that has this issue, you know, but it is real. And it is not the thing where like, oh, well, you're a professional writer. You must, you know, woo, you made it. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm hustling and it's hard and there's ego and shame involved in a lot of it. So I'm working through processing that. So I had a big act too. It just wasn't what I expected. Yeah. So now back here in act three, trying to like put into action what I learned uh, I'm not quite sure what to do, but I am committed to not attaching shame to the choices I make on how I make a living. Like I can be a professional writer. I can also be a teacher. Well, and, and you it's know. not like you're, I mean, just to reflect back to you, Lorian, it's not like you're going to go teach, you know, welding, like you're going to teach writing, which teaches us every time I consult or teach or I learn I'm like oh right like oh like it does feed back into your own writing working on someone else's show is going to teach you things that you might need when you get a show like I do believe in the in the divine path like sometimes a setback is because you you need to go back and get a skill set that you need so when you get up there you can be successful do you know what I mean like I think it's so beautiful what you're saying um to allow all those pieces of you to be in the world and nourish you both spiritually and financially, that they're there, that you are really, really good at those things. Like truly, truly um, a genius at those things. So the world needs those too, yeah. right? But I'm so happy to hear that the word was right because 
I am also a little voice in your head, which is <laughs> like, even if you're okay for this next couple of months or whatever, like, oh, and I, I definitely went through this stage and we'll be, and we'll be back there momentarily in terms of, yeah, for the next six months, I'm really going to have to consult and blah, 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 because I also need health insurance and all of that stuff. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't be writing something that you're still a writer. Do you know what I mean? Like you still are taking your time and it doesn't even have to be something for someone else or to sell. Yes. It That's can right. Writing. Who the hell knows what form it is? But these stories are still going to be swirling in you, and that's okay too. Yeah, right? and that's what I came up with. That I'm a writer, storyteller, and that can be separate from how I make a living. It can also be how I make a living, but it is not. It doesn't have to do making my sole income from that. Does not define me. I can still be a writer even though I'm making money in other ways, but I'm also always writing and that I don't have to always be writing to the market. I don't have to always be writing to what's going to sell. I don't have to always be writing pitches. Although God, I write so many pitches, but you know, like it, it's, um, I like writing pitches. That's why I write them, but you're um, so yeah. good at them by the way. But, <laughs> uh, no, I think that's so let's great. Talk about, let's do a whole show listing all the things I'm good at. Ready? Let's go, Jack, you let's go. I'm kidding. That. I'm kidding. Do, do not that. do that. <laughs> I know. Look at, I just think it's so beautiful. And you know, it is something to know about labs that if, you know, um, Eve who ran the safari lab would say to them, you're going to get out what you put in. And, and by the way, that is completely valid to say, I'm tired and I don't want to put out a lot. That is what you get. And that is okay too. Like mm -hmm. if my writers didn't want to do homework, that's not where they were, right? Like he wanted to go on the safari with his partner. That's better. Do that. Like you will get where you put your energy and intention is what will come back to you. But it's such a sacred space. I think going to a lab, know it is a sacred space that um, you have the time to just be a creative being. Like you said, Lauren, at the beginning, someone else is talking about the meals and all the stuff that can so crowd our lives. Um, what a sacred space to go and, and just literally be an artistic being. And that, by the way, is also laying in the grass, looking at the clouds. When I, you go to Hedgebrook as a writer, they encourage walks and, you know, that writing isn't just literally at the computer. It's you have to immerse yourself in the experience with having conversations, taking walks. I mean, I think it's so profound what happened. It's amazing. And that happened for me as a writer when I went to Hedgebrook as a writer. I really came out a writer because I understood that same kind of, not not that, but that I, I took all of it in. I took all of it in. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing what you just shared. It is so relatable as someone I think it's a good reminder to our listeners, some of whom may be mentors or mentees, but like there is a sense of imposter syndrome that I think everyone can carry to a retreat, especially mentees, right? I mean, like, I think if, you're, if you've been selected for this lab, you might feel like, do I deserve to be here? But I'll just speak from my own personal experience. My first Cine story, you know, I still, and also every Cine story I go to, there's this sense of like, am I qualified to be here? Like, why am I a mentor here? I haven't done X, Y, or Z. Um, but I think like, it, it is just a reminder that like, I do think whether or not you're spiritual, you've been called to something and you're in this group of people who are all finding something together. So just doing your best to relinquish any of that imposter syndrome and just embrace the experience like both of you are sharing is I think the most valuable way to grow. Um, but it, I just think that was so generous what you just shared, Lorian. It is a reminder that 
sometimes we're gifted with things that are side dishes to our writing and we just have to embrace those gifts as well because I will say Lori and everyone I meet at Story who has you as a mentor it's like oh my god I just had like the best experience of my life like I think unfortunately whether or not you want to admit it you're very good at teaching so you know that's just probably going to be a I, I am so fucking good at teaching well you are I, you are and I, I I get that feeling how was too. that was that believable yeah. I'm also a really good actress yeah. there you go because <laughs> sometimes I feel like crap am I a better teacher than writer and the answer in my career right now might be yes and that's also okay like I think sometimes like embracing that is valuable too so well, I think sometimes we hold a bar of of uh quote-unquote good uh, to writing as if but how many years have you dedicated solely to writing like it's so interesting I think we every human comes to writing assuming we should just know how to do it right but like no it takes years of work and experience to learn the craft and find your voice and find the great story and you know meaning I have more years of experience because I was a producer in development than I do as a writer and that's not going to ever be any different because I did I was a producer for 10 years before I started writing so it's okay to feel sometimes lopsided right yeah um because you are and that's okay what a beautiful thing what a beautiful gift to have both of those skills both of you to both be a teacher because not everybody is right. There are great writers who are terrible at teaching or giving notes. They're terrible at it. Like it's just not their thing. And that's okay too. So, and yeah, I agree, Jeff. Thank you so much, Lorian, for sharing that. It, I think it's incredibly powerful for our listeners to hear. Um, and yeah, let's talk about the bugs some more in Tuscany. Because, <laughs> ew. <laughs> There's some pretty big spiders in Africa. No There's a spider the size of my palm, meaning <gasps> body and my tub and I called down to the desk. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, um, I'm not gonna go to sleep because there's a giant <laughs> spider in my tub. And I thought it would just be one of the guys from the desk to come up because it must happen all the time. And it was the game driver. <laughs> ah, oh <my laughs> and he was Meg. like, oh, I was afraid it was gonna be on the ceiling because then it's really hard to get. And I was like, shut up, shut up. Don't tell me they go on the ceiling. Don't, shut up, shut up. Shut up I mean, like a huge fort over your bed. Oh, God, seriously. Amazing, Sometimes yeah. the, 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 the drivers, would, the guides would tell you stuff and I'd be like, please don't tell me that. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I used to be so afraid to walk in the dark in the morning down because uh, there's an eight foot electric fence, but still like you're out in the freaking zoo, the wild. And uh, I go, but you know, now I feel okay. You know, there's no lion walking along the fence. And he goes, well, you would never see it if there was. And I was like, be quiet, <laughs> be quiet. Oh my God. Yeah. Should we? Yeah, there are wild, wild boars everywhere in Tuscany. I didn't see any, but I heard them. They're very, um, Oh, they're, they're a sexy town, sexy time. <laughs> they're little hooves all over in the dirt. That's dangerous. They're dangerous. Yeah. Oh, my favorite. Here's my favorite wild boar. So the, the, okay. the, the uh, area, Tuscany is famous for Chigale, right? Which is wild boar. And in the menu, uh, the first restaurant I went to in Arezzo, which is like the best restaurant in the menu, I looked at the Chigale and it said wild boar, B-O-O-R. And I was like, I'll have that, please. I, <laughs> yes. Let's eat all the boars. <laughs> That's fun. As we make our way to the end of the show, we just want to quickly shout out our writing community. Um, you all continue to just astound us with your warmth and generosity. And again, as we grow, I don't know how we've done it, but we still have managed to create this sacred community of wonderful, non-toxic friends. So we just love you all. And part of the way that you can give to our show, if you've been moved by it or inspired by it, is to write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 
Um, occasionally we like to read these reviews, not only because you're all beautiful writers, but because it's a reminder that um, the show is helping people find their voice as writers. And by writing a review, you actually bump up our show in the algorithm. So um, it's it's kind of helps the mission of this show. If, you're, if you feel so moved, hop on Apple Podcasts and write a five-star review. But I'm going to start with Rudy with S. Nye, who says that this show is like oxygen. For those who haven't found it yet, this podcast is both nourishment and fuel. Meg, Lorian, and Jeff are also open, honest, and transparent about not only their craft, but the ins and outs of the business, but also their own daily struggles to breathe life into characters on the page. Their collective quest, often joined by some of the brightest minds behind the camera, to tap into the lava and tell deep, emotionally resonant stories is a constant inspiration, literally the best. Very kind review. Wow, thank you. Thank you, that's um, awesome. And it means a lot because, you know, we're just doing this <laughs> to do it, uh, you know, and so it helps us to hear that it's helpful to you guys. That's also yes. what the reviews do is let us know that we're not talking into a void that you guys are out there and that it is helpful and you want us to keep going. Yeah, I want to also shout out Natty Dillon who says, run, listen, then coffee, then write. I stumbled upon this podcast a few months ago and I've now listened almost daily. The above is my routine. Each episode feels like a mini masterclass and pep talk. Meg, Lorian, and Jeff do an incredible job in normalizing the many aspects of the creative process in life as a creative. Whether an emerging, semi-professional, or working writer, this podcast is truly an asset to all writers at all stages of their career. So great, Natty Dillon. I'm going to read one more, and this comes from Me355, who says, Empathy Machine. Film critic Roger Ebert once described movies being like a machine that generates empathy, with, tr with the truly great ones allowing the viewer to experience life through another person's eyes. Screenwriting life is basically an empathy machine in podcast form. Not only does it act as a guidebook for writers and creators to construct their own empathy machines through film and television writing, but to learn how to better empathize with themselves and their own creative process. Wow, that's such a generous observation. More and more, I find myself referencing its lessons well outside any creative context. It has quickly become both an appointment listening in general, one of my favorite and most affirming pieces of media. Thank you so much to Meg, Lorraine, and Jeff from a huge fan who usually listens while enjoying a cup of coffee. What a cool review. So oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I am learning to have empathy for I myself. Know. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, again, thanks to all our writers. It's such a helpful way to not only push our podcast to, towards more people, but remind us that like Meg said, this isn't just a weekly Zoom call for us. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is good which too, is also by the great. way. It's yeah. always good to see you I am, I am yes. being live and seeing Lorian's face back, yes. I have to say. I might feel back on track. I felt a little yeah. lost. It wasn't quite the show without you. So just as a reminder, we still had good episodes, but something it always feels like something's missing when you're not here. Or you, Meg. So great to have you both. Yeah. I mean, who's going to talk about bugs? I know what I'd bring to the table. <laughs> and you know, you guys... I know that not everyone can go to a lab either because of the time or the cost or, you know, you're trying to get your right, you want to get into a lab like Sin a Story where it's a contest and it, that just takes time. It takes drafts and you've got to learn your craft a little bit to get up into those labs. Um, so work towards them if you can. Um, but if you can't, that's okay too, because I hope what you're hearing today is things that you can take into your own practice, that your writing is a sacred space. Um, for you and that we hope you will find ways to protect that space and um, work in it and that you learn by writing, not just by listening. As much as you listen to our podcast and we love it, we also want you writing and actually trying to put things into practice. Um, getting feedback is an essential part of this. And if you're not at a lab, then please 
um, find those people to give you the feedback. And we've talked a lot about uh, uh, writing groups. And I love that on the Facebook page, you guys are all over the world starting writing groups together. That just fills my heart with joy. And, um, you know, you need the support. Like what Writing Labs can give you is in that week or God help us if we can all go to Italy for three weeks, the support. Um, but find that for yourself. We want that. We, we're here to support you. This Facebook group is here to support you. We started a Patreon. Um, literally just to support you um but also find it for yourself um go on the facebook group start a group whatever you need to do um because it is a journey and we want you to not feel alone on that journey so Lauren, anything else to add about labs and kind of a takeaway if you're not going to a lab um i mean all i can really say is you are not alone and keep writing Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.